but we're brought up in a condition where you're supposed to be able to relate to everybody and you're supposed to, well because you're a teenager you're supposed to be doing this and doing that and you know I always feel like I'm outside looking into a room full of people do you know that type of way I find it very hard to talk bullshit superficial stuff and so you know small talk talking about the weather isn't really my trip I, know. I would never um be seen around a whole lot of people. I wouldn't be able to talk to a whole lot of people. Uh, individual friends, couple of friends, that would be it. And I, I often felt very lonely because of this, you know. Even I remember in my younger days, I got a pony and I would go out into fields and just ride that pony and that kept me happy because the pony wouldn't be bad to me. Everything was okay, you know. I didn't trust a whole lot of people, you know. I, I've always stayed on my own. Even as a child growing up, I didn't mix much. I stayed on my own a lot, and I, I just was very lonely, really, and um, I never got into trouble, really, at school or anything like that. I just always stayed at the back of everything, no matter what went down. I stayed at the back. I've always been lonely. I've never felt I fit in. I've never felt I fit in. From the earliest days, uh, school, I never went to university. I fitted in in very, very small fits and starts where I hit a beautiful oasis in my life where I find a soulmate. And it might be a guy. The 60s was a decade when the idea of community was high fashion. It was a time of communes and cults, love-ins and sit-ins and conjure groups and touch therapy. It was a decade of sharing and caring. It was also a decade of loneliness. The Beatles were singing about Eleanor Rigby, who died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Now the talk about community has come full circle again after the materialism of the last 20 years. We talk of the caring 90s, family values, back to basics. But the Eleanor Rigbys and all the lonely people are still with us. Maybe we're like them. Patricia Redlick is a psychologist and journalist who deals with the problems and anxieties associated with loneliness. The vast majority of people have, have the need to communicate at some level about certain things. It can be that a woman can't wait for her husband to come home to talk about some problem that she's just discovered with a child in school or something like that. So if you think of all the situations where you badly need to discuss something and think of the situations where you're experiencing something beautiful, not just problems, uh, maybe a great movie on, 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 on television, maybe a lovely sunset, uh, I was on the ski slopes at Christmas, maybe just looking out over uh, the panorama uh, uh, of Colorado, uh, 
and you'd like somebody who you know would share your joy in it. I think human beings are very are fundamentally social animals, social social in their nature, and they want to share the good bits just as much as they want to share the bad bits. In fact, you very often find that people in their trouble can be quite on their own. But when, when, when they feel happy, they're dying, to sh- they're dying to be with others, to actually enjoy it. Or also even to do things like uh, reminisce, like remember last week, or remember that, that, that time. Do you know all those kind of, do you remember, do you remember, that people do in families and with friends? By nature, that is a commu- communicative. So I suppose uh, we're lonely in proportion to our need to communicate. Different individuals have a different level of need, but all of us need to do it sometimes. So I would say everyone is capable of being lonely. The lucky ones aren't lonely very often because they find the right people to communicate with uh, at the right times. The only togetherness some people experience is the meaningless crush on the dart or the bus. And their only community is the isolation of city bars where people shout their orders over the raucous din of strange voices. Some people look for support in groups or clubs where no one really meets or identifies with another. All the lonely people are always searching and yearning for the answer in different ways. For Pat Inglesby, the search was for a soulmate. I used to believe that the answer to loneliness is finishing up in bed with a woman. I used to believe that was the answer to loneliness. And for that reason, if I was feeling lonely, I'd say to myself, right, let's go, let's go into town, let's go to a pub, let's go to a disco, let's find a woman who is happy to come and have sex. You know, you're not forcing somebody who feels the same way as I do and wants to rock and roll all night, maybe as an antidote to loneliness, maybe because she enjoys it anyway, you know. I used to believe that was the answer, but I found that that would actually compound loneliness because you may as well... uh, give yourself relief because what you're actually doing is you're using a member of the opposite sex to forget about your loneliness for a while and that's no answer because you feel worse afterwards I now feel and find that the answer to loneliness for me is an answer I'm never going to find which is somebody who's on the same wavelength as myself somebody who's got the same wild whimsical wayward crazy mad surreal daft way of looking at the world as I have And if I ever find a person like that, I won't be lonely anymore. The after-midnight yahoos echo around the Irish country town. The after-midnight yahoos echo when all the drinks gone down. And you drown and drown and drown because you haven't got a woman. Walking home through hedgerows sort of crooked as she goes and God alone knows what you'd do if you had your way with Brady's daughter or anybody else's but now it's after midnight and you're going home and your yahoos echo up there into bedrooms where you never go and girls who sleep alone are having fantasies it's better by yourself than not at all and when you fall asleep you won't set eyes upon a woman until your mother calls you in the morning and says, Happy birthday, son. Today you're 58. External loneliness often results from social, circumstantial or environmental conditions. The loss of a loved one, 
lack of a partner, a divorce, a destructive relationship, or missing children who have fled the nest, illness or disability, becoming old, adjusting to unemployment or redundancy, racial harassment, homelessness or poor accommodation, or making roots in a new country. When Rita Ann Higgins visited her brother in England, she hadn't met him for a long time. And after his immigration, she found he was living in isolation in a caravan near a motorway. And to bridge the lonely years, she brought him a gift to remind him of home. I will get him a glass sugar bowl, those sugar bowls with the three legs, the kind of bubbly glass, and a milk jug to match. Now, it might seem like a crazy present, but I knew that, well, I felt that when I see this, it reminds me of home and it reminds me of the past and it's just a sentimental association like some people would have Willow Pattern or Pope John the 23rd and President and all this and I would too maybe but this especially uh, there's a lot of us in it and so Delph would have been some very strong association but especially this Sugar Bowl because um, it was just pretty it was probably the, it was probably the prettiest thing in the house, the sugar bowl and the, and the, the milk jug. So I didn't know how he was going to react to it or if he would respond to it the way that, that I did. And I felt a bit ashamed that it was so cheap. It was only like a pound each for the two things. So he had this notion that I liked cheese and he brought me into a supermarket first before we got to where he lived. And he kept saying you like this kind of cheese and that kind of cheese but I didn't I don't like cheese and I didn't want to say I don't like cheese because his heart was in getting me the cheese and um, so we got back to where he lived and he lived in um, a a caravan or a mobile home just under the motorway and all the other there was other caravans there but nobody lived in any of them because it must have been not uh, properly functioning or something, but his was the only caravan or the only mobile home that was lived in. So we went in there and we were... It was kind of awkward because he'd been gone for 20 years and I hadn't seen him for some time. But it, it was... His gentleness and his kindness was obvious in the street in the supermarket. He kept assuming things that I'd like and getting them for me and I knew he didn't have a lot of money and I didn't have the heart to, to say anything. I was just going along with him. So anyway, we got there and um, I gave him the sugar bowl and the, and the milk jug and he was completely overwhelmed. He absolutely loved it and his loneliness was so palpable at this time because he kept saying, thank you so much. Such a beautiful present and I felt that that he had never received a present in a long time, that he was so overwhelmed and so enthusiastic about it. And I just, I just, his loneliness was just palpable then. And I kind of figured that maybe he didn't make a lot of friends in the 20 years and that uh, he didn't seem to mind the noise of the cars at all or it didn't bother him one bit. It, there seemed to be such a lot of noise 
and he he was a re- he is a really snazzy dresser, and he liked to look nice and to iron his clothes. And uh, uh, the ironing board was open. He leaves the ironing board open. He likes crisp white shirts and Tracy Chapman. He leaves the ironing board open in his mobile home near the motorway so that he is halfway there if he ever makes the decision to go out. He plays Tracy Chapman really loud in his mobile home near the motorway so that he can't hear the noise of the cars or the screech of his loneliness crashing into him from every side. Loneliness is part of the human condition. On top of that, of course, there are people who put stumbling blocks in their in their way, uh, in their own way. If you like, um, it's not necessarily their fault, but they are in fact the cause of their own loneliness. You find an awful lot of people. It's something similar to shyness. Um, they talk about being lonely, but really, it's because they don't step out, and they don't allow others to approach them. In other words, they're they're they're, they're they always put themselves behind bars. Um, and very often what, they, what someone like that needs uh, is some form of counselling or whatever to actually look at what they're doing themselves to perpetuate their own unhappy state. Um, also then, of course, there are people who are lonely and really have no control over it. I think probably the awful thing would be uh, is to be ill. Um, I don't see age as necessarily related to loneliness at all because there's lots of elderly people who are flying around the place or have people flying around their place, have a lot of contact. But I do think uh, probably the ones who are lonely are the, um, um, for physical reasons are the ones uh, who are sick. In other words, by definition, there's limits on their ability to communicate. There are uh, uh, chances of communication. Um, what is sort of interesting uh, is that you can go to a therapist as I said uh, for depression and anxiety for mania for sexual difficulties you can write to dear Patricia for sexual difficulties uh, for all those problems but um, I where do you go when loneliness is your problem I, I mean many people would actually turn up in a friend's house even let alone in a therapist's room and say my problem is I'm lonely it is still a huge admission of failure in people's eyes, 
which is really ridiculous when you think about it because as, as I've said we can be lonely for external reasons like uh, isolation due to ill health or whatever we can be lonely uh, because um, somebody has died we can be lonely because we're prisoners of other problems in ourselves um, and it's part of the human condition so why is it such a taboo? Paul is in his early 20s and despite a happy childhood, he grew up feeling he was always on the outside, looking into a room full of people. My loneliness came from just feeling, not feeling at home, no matter where I was, not feeling, not feeling relaxed and comfortable in community with people, you know, even if it's just a few friends or... Unless, you know, now and again in my life I'd meet somebody and I'd just click it with them and boom. You know, usually I'd have intense relationships, therefore, you know, because even with, you know, with friends like in school, either we'd be really close or I wouldn't get on. There wouldn't be a general mix. And so, unless I could find someone like this, I used to feel really, I would feel an outsider. And that's where my loneliness would come from, I guess, you know. I used to wish for a soulmate like when I was younger in teens and stuff, but uh, it just happened when I stopped looking, I guess, you know, or a couple of years later. But um, yeah, I had a great relationship with a girl, and it's as near to a soulmate as I've had yet, you know? I guess if I find any nearer, she'll be just a female version of me, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But. Um, and did that break up? It did. It broke up for the good of our. Help because we turned out to be very destructive together, weirdly enough. Um, but we're the best of friends. See, it's another paradox again, you know. We re- we're more we're more friendly. We've more love for each other at the moment because we're we don't live together, you know, geographically. Like, but um, I suppose it's all. She's also the type of person who felt she couldn't get people to relate to her and that. So when we met each other, it was like finding an oasis in the desert, you know. Uh, it's broke up at the moment anyway. Leave it to Providence to see what happens. There's definitely no designs on it. We're both ex-junkies, recovering addicts. I used to think to think of it in terms of a fear of rejection because that's a cliche which I suppose leads to loneliness and where you think yeah, people don't understand you and so on and then um, I did I definitely found a comfort in drugs there's no doubt about it and uh, my choice of drug as well the type of thing I was into uh, I was into opiates so you don't really need anybody when you're stoned on that type of drug so um I guess there's a lot more to it. I haven't looked into it, the reasons why too deeply. I, at the moment, I'm in recovery and I'm just trying to come to terms with what there is in me, in my natural self, that I can live with, uh, that I don't have to take a mood-altering substance. Society goes round in pairs, as you know. Society goes round in company. 
if you think about it, you, you see mothers with daughters, mothers with sons, husbands and wives, partners, friends. And that sets a norm. So, for example, I go for brunch every Sunday myself and uh, I go on my own and I read the papers. And I am perfectly happy. But if I was a bit more vulnerable, I would be defining myself as lonely. What I'm saying is that a lot of our, our, our loneliness can actually be um, uh, transmitted to us through other people's perception. You'll have uh, mothers ringing and wondering, are you all right, and things like that. In other words, the world tells you you're an oddity. So I think that's the second thing you do. First of all is you stop seeing yourself as a victim and start seeing you make active choices. And the second thing you do is that you just, you just defend yourself against the definition of loneliness. I remember once I was on holidays with a friend a wonderful girl, woman friend uh, who's a botanist and we were uh, in Inish Boffin looking at all the different flora and everything and this man came up to us and he said uh, oh would you like company or whatever or something and he said because you're on your own and we looked at each other and we looked at him and he said no I said we said no we're not on our own you were on your own <laughs> but what he meant was we were manless yeah. we were without male companionship and therefore do you understand so there's lots of ways that um, you, you know that the society can decide that you're not quite the full shilling that you're not quite matching up you only see good looking couples out driving on a Sunday afternoon his hair is blonde her eyes are blue between them, they have no broken veins, stretch marks, Guinness guts, fat necks, barrel chests, or swollen ankles. Between them, they never curse. His giveaway sign is the way he holds the steering wheel in the 20 to 2 position. Her giveaway sign is the sweep of the perfume she leaves lingering at the traffic lights where the pedestrians often turn green. Between them, they never eat fries, red or brown sauce, shanks of anybody, mackerel from the basin. Putrid, they say. Putrid. Between them, they have no cholesterol in the blood. No coal in the shade. Everything is centrally heated. It's easier that way. Cuts out the middleman and the mess. Sometimes when they are not out looking good-looking, between them you could fit two McInerney homes, three Berlin walls, Martha Glynn's fantasies, 40 empty factories, IDA, 17 rocket couriers, slightly overweight, 48 good quality reconditioned colour TVs, incalculable curriculum fees, cat fights, frog fights, bull fights, dog fights, broken hearts, hearts in jars, lost wars, lost teeth. Well, I was in this house two weeks ago, and if I'm here in the house and I'm writing, if I'm creating, I feel whole. And I feel indomitable and nothing can bring me down. But then someone says, I'll stop writing. And it might be four in the morning. And I suddenly realise I've nobody in my life to whom I can say, I've just written well and I feel great. I'd love to share it with you. You know, I try sharing it with the cats. But, I mean, they just meow because they want me to open another tin of food. You know, at a time like that, I would feel deeply, deeply, desolately lonely here in the house at four and a half, four in the morning. And I've been writing and I've been feeling great and all I want to do is share that with somebody and also share with somebody their joys and their triumphs and maybe their sadnesses. At a time like that, about two weeks ago, I was feeling very, very, very suicidal, really suicidal. Half past two and because of you I haven't slept a wink 
Many people who feel lonely or on the outside often react by saying, what I need is a stiff drink. This will give me a lift. Oh, I'll be okay when I get this one down. Mick was like that. But he found he was walking up an escalator that was going down. I felt rejected a little bit when I was young, and it made me feel indifferent to other people. So uh, I would become angry, and in the end, the way I carried on, with the people, say, at school and everything, I started losing friends. So uh, I moved on then to drinking and uh, taking drugs or anything I wanted to get highs. And I didn't have that many friends, but I would go and reach out to some person I could talk to. And uh, I would, more so than being my friend, it would be my crutch. I would lean on them for uh, help. I would talk to them. I would never... um, be seen around a whole lot of people. I wouldn't be able to talk to a whole lot of people. Uh, individual friends, couple of friends, that would be it. And I, I often felt very lonely because of this, you know. Even I remember in my younger days, I got a pony and I would go out into fields and just ride that pony, and that kept me happy because the pony wouldn't be bad to me. Everything was okay, you know. I didn't trust a whole lot of people, you know. So uh, that's the way I felt lonely, and I went on, progressed into very heavy drinking, and when you're into this, your behaviour, people don't really want to see that much of you anyway. So life became very lonely. Uh, I got married and held on to the wife, and I, I also used her, the wife as a crutch, but I was also desperately seeking. I became desperately seeking because I got to the stage where people, no matter how nice they were to me, didn't seem to be enough. I would just go for somebody else. And more so to girls and that would that would listen to me and talk to me, and I would hold hold on to that all the time, you know. So when things like that would go away from me, I would feel really lonely. I would sit up, I would drink, I would feel very lonely. It's just a total emptiness, and even feel rejected. It was really wild, you know. To the state of where you could get that bad when you'd be alone, only for some things that happened in the past. I have a daughter. I would even have felt suicidal. I felt early on that I was able to talk to everybody. But you take the alcohol from me and take the bar from me, I felt lonely again the next day. So I was seeking it, run back into it again, talk to everybody. And I felt uh, well able to speak when I had lots of drink on me and I could talk to everybody. I think it was the genius, you know. I was the, I was the party piece. But take it all away, I was lonely Mick again, you know. I do think, uh, from my own personal experience and from my professional experience, uh, that loneliness is quite central to an awful lot of, of people's distress, and that it can be quite that it can be quite sick making. You find people drink, eating, 
too much, drinking too much, like there's comfort eating, comfort drinking. You'll find them slumping in front of the television. You'll find them underproductive in terms of, uh, of uh, creativity and work. Um, and really all that's wrong with them is they're lonely. Uh, and sometimes it comes, people sometimes write to me or come to me maybe, uh, or just talk to me, and they say um, they're depressed or whatever. And they're not actually depressed, they're just lonely. And so, as you know, uh, we can't do anything about something that we don't know is there, and we don't know things are there if no name is put on it. So maybe it's just very important to put the name on the feeling. In other words, to acknowledge, to actually say, yeah, that's right, it is loneliness. Uh, And once we have that, you see, once somebody has the concept, they can run with it then. So I suppose they're the three things. You make choices... You make sure you're not being defined in terms of other people's perceptions. In other words, that you are lone—that is loneliness and not just uh, 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 seclusion, which you've sought. Um, and you put a name on it and say, yes, I am lonely. In other words, you acknowledge or accept or whatever uh, they talk in all these uh, um, uh, courses about. Uh, and then you do something about it. The loneliness in a life may sometimes be there because the childhood home was dysfunctional, broken or troubled. And Bridget is one of these people whose earlier days were less than happy. My mother and father died when I was um, between a year and two and a half. I lost both parents and an aunt. She took myself and uh, two sisters and a brother into her. And um, I always felt years back that, uh, you know, that um, things weren't right at home when my brother and sisters left for England. I was on my own and um, I felt very lonely then, but I I felt rejected. That's one thing I, I really felt, really rejected, because my aunt used to say she would be married, only she made a promise to my father that she wouldn't send us to a home, and um, this was always thrown back, you know. And um, I always remember she used to always run my father down, and no matter what I went to do, it was, <laughs> it was no good. I found then when I got married, it was really, it was only years later, I just said maybe it's an escape, you know, out of the home life. And um, I was okay then, really. I put everything into the four girls I had, but I found when they went away to school, I broke down and the loneliness was awful then when they were sent away. And um, I, that was the first time I started drinking, six years ago. Very lonely without the children, you know. I, I think it relates back to the childhood I had, really. You know, and I always been told that you weren't much good. I tell you when I do feel good, at a soccer match, if I'm following, I follow Bohemians, and if I'm at a soccer match and Bows are playing, and Bows score a goal, and I, in common with everybody else in the, in the ground, stand up and cheer the goal, I feel very unlonely, even though I'm at the match on my own. And I've got no problem understanding why people identify so closely with football teams 
I can understand a situation where a football team would become a man or a woman's friends even though people have never met them. I have no problem understanding how people in Coronation Street, East Enders, Fair City, Glen Row, become people's personal friends because the characters are the only people that they've got in their lives. I've no problem understanding how, say you're living in a room, a one-room flat, and your television set is there. I can understand how the television would become the real world and you would begin to live within that world, you know. So what in the world's come over you? And what in heaven's name have you done? You've broken the speed of the sound of loneliness I think we have a series of, of soulmates. I do believe uh, there are partners for different situations. I do believe there are some people that you talk to, even about certain issues, and you get a kind... What you're getting is you're getting the feeling that they're on the same wavelength, that they know what you really mean, and very importantly, they know what you don't mean. You know, they, they know the limits of what you're saying and therefore they can make a, 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 a appropriate responses to you. Um, so I think there are, there are co- horses for courses. I think there's somebody you'll go sailing with that you would not want to necessarily um, go uh, spend your life with or uh, talk about your problems to. Do you know what I mean? And I think this, if you look at the successful human beings in life, they're the ones who aren't necessarily looking for just one person one idealised person, uh, but they learn how to uh, share the appropriate things with the appropriate uh, people. Some of us are born loners and may not necessarily be friendless, but prefer to remain aloof within our own space. Confused loners either retreat into their shells or compromise their nature by joining clubs or groups without any sense of fitting in or belonging. But for Patrick, he was a loner who sought refuge at the bar counter. Experienced loneliness when I was a child, um, quite definitely. But I was inclined to overcome that by being successful in sport, uh, various sports. Um, my, I know, looking back now, my father drank alcoholically. So I came from what's referred to as a dysfunctional family. So I did experience loneliness, but I was able to cope with it through being successful at what I did. And especially in sports, I could easily uh, relate to people through my success in sports. But I never really, I never uh, experienced intense loneliness until I really drank alcoholically. Um, I believe that there are various reasons for one drinking alcoholically. You know, some of it's genetic and there are other reasons. But I would imagine probably my loneliness did contribute towards it. Um, But the extreme loneliness that one encounters through uh, drinking alcoholic is quite something different. I think it's 
the extra rejection one experiences from drinking alcoholically, losing your family, losing your friends, um, or your so-called friends at that time, um, with a, getting a, having a low self-esteem, um, even feeling paranoid, it's very difficult to make new friends, to replace these. And I've had the experience of trying to talk to somebody, uh, to express these feelings to somebody who's, who's um, not experienced them, say, through drug addiction or through uh, drinking alcoholically. And they think you're crazy. Um, they can't relate to you at all. And um, they're inclined to back off and just think you're a bit weird. There were limits to what he could take, so he took limits. Sometimes he went over the limits. Other times the limits went over him. Not in any aggressive way, down the neck way, oil the esophagus way, cool and refreshing on a hot summer's day way. So he had a problem. He had to watch it. His mother said it, so did his wife. Watch it, the wise ones said, watch it. But sometimes when he wasn't looking, limits got him handcuffed him, forced him into it, down the neck way, oil the esophagus way. When he was over the limits, nobody wanted him. He was an unwashed, unwanted, unwilling, unattractive, over-the-limits slob. Never give a job to a slob, Bob. Never give a bob to a slob. He never got wise. He only got older. The limits got higher. The climb got harder. He reached nowhere in jig time, everywhere in no time. He had no limits, no fun. No jokes, no how, no jumpers. Only sitters who sat around with him and blamed the grass for growing. The government, the IRA, the ABC, the IUD, the UFO, the ITV. He was a paid-up member of the sitters and blamers gang. After a while he had no need to watch it. Limits now looked for plump ones half his measure who still had fight. He had fought all his battles and lost. He was a lost limit, a limitless loss. A winner only when his pockets were full and his jokes were new. Who was he now at 35? A limited old man who hadn't lived, lingering on street corners, searching for shoot-the-breeze friendships without commitments or frontiers. The word lonely and the condition it describes carry a kind of stigma and people are often reluctant to mention their loneliness to others in case they may be labelled social failures. And recognising that loneliness is a very real problem, the World Health Organisation and the UK Department of Health and Social Security prefer to describe it as social isolation. And if we're in any doubt that it is a serious problem, We've only got to look at the psychosexual soul-bearing found in the agony columns of magazines and newspapers. Uh, in Ireland still, uh, it's incredible the number of people who remain in very unhappy relationships uh, because it's the thing to do. And, of course, the single biggest feature of that is terrible loneliness. Uh, there's nowhere more unhappy than an unhappy relationship. The other place I meet loneliness a lot is... Uh, people who are homosexual, uh, lesbians or gays who haven't come out. Um, and when they write, what is clear is the desperate loneliness of their situation. 
not the confusion even or uh, the lack of sexual uh, 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 outlets or frustration or anything, but awful loneliness. Because if you can't um, express at least, uh, you know, even if you're not having sex, but at least express it in some kind of interaction. Uh, your sexuality is such a central part of your personality. It means you're hiding from the world. And if you're hiding from the world, you're lonely. So that's where I meet loneliness most, in unhappy relationships uh, and in uh, homosexuals who haven't actually declared their homosexuality. Loneliness is often associated with life behind the cloistered walls of a monastery. But for John Benedict Kearns, the abbot of Bolton Abbey, this is something that brings him happiness. Yes, I would say that, that I am lonely every day, for part of every day, but loneliness to me is, is part of myself. And when I am lonely, I am in touch with my deepest inner being. So when I'm lonely, I'm happy. And when I'm lonely, I go to pray very often. I feel called to go to pray to the church, to pray, or maybe to just pray where I am. But it's not loneliness in the sense that speak, people speak of outside. It is just a yearning for something that one, one hasn't got. And I don't want to go anywhere else. So maybe that's a new slant on loneliness. <laughs> 